Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson. With me is Aaron Miller. This is our second episode of the week. We did our question of the week episode yesterday, Thursday, and focused on Facebook's F8 event and what it says about the state of innovation at Facebook. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, uh, go listen to that when you're done with this one. Uh, Because we did a deep dive on those Facebook F8 announcements, we won't be covering any Facebook news in this news roundup today. We'll be covering all other companies and other news for the week. So uh, this is sort of a companion or a complement to that episode in that way as well. Uh, The news we are going to cover today is as follows. First off, we have a grab bag of sort of minor news relating to Apple. There was no really huge news this week, but quite a few individual news items Uh, First off, uh, they made a big push around Earth Day with a whole set of environmental announcements. Uh, Secondly, Bloomberg reported today that Apple's hired away a couple of former satellite executives from Google. Uh, Thirdly, Apple picked up its first documentary film at a festival. Uh, Fourth, it announced web embedding of live photos. And then lastly, there were reports about uh, uh, what purported to be Uh, the chassis for the new iPhone that will launch in the fall um, with some interesting sort of changes in the placement of various elements and so on. So we'll talk about those items as they relate to Apple. Secondly, a couple of different stories around voice assistants. Uh, Google Home announced multi-user support. And then there were a couple of different Amazon Alexa-related stories as well. Uh, Thirdly, we'll talk about Netflix earnings, the first big sort of tech company to report earnings uh, for this earnings season. So we'll talk about them. And then uh, lastly, we'll talk a little bit about the Samsung S8 reviews and some other related news that came out this week. So that's the the rundown of of what we're going to be covering here over the next half hour or so. Uh, We'll start with Apple and, as I say, this sort of set of different announcements. First off, these environmental announcements that were made. um, Some of them were made by them. There was also a story from uh, Vice's motherboard uh, website that, that talked about some aspects of this as well. But Aaron, what was your take on the environmental announcements? Uh, I think the biggest news is that Apple has committed itself to having a 100% recycled supply chain uh, at some point in the future. They essentially said, we don't want to mine the earth anymore. Uh, And apparently they feel like there's plenty of source material out there and already produced items that they should be able to just maintain a, a supply chain entirely based off of recycled materials. That's a remarkable thing. Uh, And it's got to be really hard for them to eventually pull it off. But it reminds me of when they committed to having 100% clean energy, driving everything that they do, um, even down to their suppliers. And they're knocking on the door of that right now, which is amazing, but it's taken them years to get there. And so uh, having accomplished that, the 100% recycled supply chain thing feels doable if, if even if it takes a while for them to get to that point. that you know That's going to be a, a, a massive thing simply because of Apple's scale of manufacturing. I mean, it would, be, it would be a truly remarkable accomplishment to be cranking out millions and millions of iPhones and laptops and iPads, watches and everything without using newly mined materials. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely one of those sort of stretch goals, isn't it? It's something that it's going to take many years and a lot of really tricky uh, processes and other things to to get to that point. Um, One of the other things I thought was interesting around the Earth Day sort of environmental announcements was the set of videos that they put out. And I don't know if you've seen any of these yet, but uh, yeah, I thought they were pretty cute. A handful of these videos, and they were they were illustrated by this guy that did the. 
did a, a quick video about it's Doc Ellis's no hitter that he did while he was on LSD. And if you're not into baseball, you have no idea what I'm just talking about. But uh, <laughs> he did this crazy little video about what was itself a crazy story from many years ago. Um, but they use the same illustrator and he's got a quickie, pretty sort of quirky style. Um, and it's definitely not the kind of thing you normally see from Apple. So it's kind of fun to see them uh, getting some of the message out in that way through these sort of animated videos. Um, and Tim Cook has a little cameo in each of them you kind of have to look out for. And so that was quite fun. But Apple really seems to sort of spread the wealth in terms of how they made these announcements. So they finally put out a blog post, I think today on Friday, outlining all these different things they announced but a lot of it kind of came out through different publications so the mining thing i think came out through vice uh the document the, the little videos came out through mashable uh there was some liam stuff about the liam robot that disassembles stuff that came out through i think business insider and there was a bunch of other bits and pieces that came out in different places so they really seemed to try to make a lot of news at once around environmental stuff uh, but then there was this other story on on also on vice interestingly but in their motherboard blog uh, which is kind of their tech blog, um, about how Apple recycles stuff at the moment. And Aaron, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, essentially it, when their recycling partners collect collect you know old iPhones or laptops or whatever, um, rather than harvesting parts for reuse, everything gets separated and shredded back into its base material. And, and those shredded materials get put back into the recycling chain, but the... The problem is that it's not nearly as efficient as pulling off a part that you could use again. Um, Apple has concerns about these getting scavenged and, and repurposed and people selling, you know, essentially cobbled together iPhones for a lot cheaper than Apple sells them for. That's the reason behind it. But it was, sort of came as a, as, a, as a start counterpoint to all that they had announced this week as part of their Earth Day uh, initiative. I think the truth is they're getting sort of some unreasonable scrutiny in that regard. I think a lot of manufacturers do this, but uh, the timing of the Earth Day announcements and the environmental sustainability report lining up with that, I think, is what made it stand out. Right. Yeah. And then the issue seems to be that Apple does really well with its own recycling, but it only recycles a tiny fraction of the devices it makes um, and it, most of them are recycled elsewhere by other people other bodies other companies and so on and so it's the fact that it provides very strict guidelines about what has to be done with that other stuff that the motherboard piece was about this week and so um, I guess it was sort of a I don't know, but not exactly pouring cold water on their their own initiatives, but kind of saying, look, Apple may do a very good job with this stuff, but lots of other Apple stuff does end up in landfills and various other places, and um, you know they don't have control over the whole process, basically, and and obviously they'd like to increase that over time, but um, it's it's worth noting, I guess, in the overall context of that big environmental push that they made this week. Yeah, and there will always be breakdowns in the recycling chain just because consumers also have to decide what they're going to do with devices. Right, right. And sadly, there are, you know, it's really easy to throw an old iPhone into the garbage and just, you know, get it mm. out of sight and out of mind. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, let's do some quick hits on some of the other Apple news this week. Um, there was a story from Bloomberg today that a Apple has hired two uh, guys who formerly worked at Google. Um, Google acquired a company called Skybox Imaging a few years back that did satellite imaging for maps and uh, they bought it and then recently sold it and I guess a couple of guys who had been with that team stayed with Google briefly afterwards have now ended up at Apple um, seems a funny hire for Apple because Apple obviously doesn't do anything with satellites today um, the reason Google uh, sold off that 
asset was they wanted it for mapping and then realized they could get the maps without actually owning the process and they'd had some other ambitions i think with those satellites perhaps for internet access and decided that wasn't worth pursuing and as part of the sort of uh, refocusing that's happened at alphabet over the last couple of years they sold that off which seemed very sensible but raises the question of why apple is by or is investing in this area by hiring satellite people and the Bloomberg piece talks about a couple of different things. I mean, it talks about internet access, and it, it, there's some rumors that Apple's been funding some work by Boeing on some low-Earth orbit satellites designed to provide internet access. So that's one possibility. Another one is that they want to do mapping too, although the logic that suggests Google doesn't need to own that is the same logic that applies to Apple as well. So not 100% convinced by that. The internet access push doesn't make a ton of sense to me either, just because for Facebook or Google, who are basically maxing out on the addressable market as far as internet users and need to expand the internet market, that kind of thing makes sense. For Apple, it really doesn't, because the kinds of users that you reach through those projects tend not to be the people that buy iPhones. Uh, they might need free internet access from Facebook or Google, but they're not going to go out and buy an iPhone. So uh, the incentive for Apple to be involved in that is much less obvious. And here in the US, there is satellite internet. Dish provides it, but has a tiny number of subscribers. Uh, and AT&T uses it a little bit, but it's basically the last resort in places where it can't get LTE wireless or uh, some kind of wired broadband. So it's very much a last resort, which, again, makes it an odd fit for Apple to be investing in. So you know, the two obvious things, internet access and mapping, neither of them makes a ton of sense. But I don't know if you had any thoughts about that, Aaron. No, I, I think they have all kinds of crazy hires like this that never make the news because they're just trying something out. I mean, for all we know, this could have to do with self-driving cars, you know, and that they want, right. they need, they've decided they need a satellite network to have them all talking to each other or something. Who knows? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I think, uh, I think like I said, there are probably a lot of these hires. There are definitely a lot of these kinds of hires happening that just sort of never surface because behind the scenes, Apple is always poking at different ideas to see where they might go. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, in the grand scheme of, you know, 100,000 plus employees, two guys working on satellite technology doesn't actually mean very much, even if they, you know, were formerly fairly senior people at a competitor. Um, this may or may not turn into anything. You know, it may well be that at some point down the road we hear that these guys have left or been redeployed to a different part of Apple or something. So, not all that significant, but intriguing to think about what they might be working on. Um, another piece of Apple news this week, uh, they acquired their first documentary at a festival. Uh, it was Tribeca Film Festival. And it's a documentary about, I believe the name is Clive Davis, a former record executive. Um, it's interesting because obviously Apple has invested in some original content, but they've largely commissioned stuff that's a very close fit to their own business. So they've got the Planet of the Apps show, which is about apps, obviously close tie to the App Store. They um, bought the rights to the spin-off of the Carpool Karaoke show from the James Corden show, um, which obviously has close ties to music and so on. Uh, and they've done a few other things that relate to stuff, but it's mostly been commissioning things or at least being involved in the early stages of specking out a show. This is the first example that we've seen of uh, where Apple's bought existing content. And again, it is music related. It's about a record executive. Um, so it's music related will likely end up in the Apple Music uh, service. Um, but it's another example of, kind of Apple playing with lots of different forms of original content, again, all closely tied to other parts of its business for now. But to me, it's, it's A, building up a content library, and B, is learning skills associated with both licensing and uh, commissioning content, uh, which would be useful if and when it eventually gets into the video service that uh, we're all expecting them to, to try again to produce at some point soon. So interesting kind of in that context. And it's interesting that they can test these ideas still tied to music. 
they keep finding a way to be branching yeah. into video, but in a way that is attached to Apple Music so that externally there's some sense to it. Um, but I definitely think this is experimentation. I think this is Apple sort of saying, you know, is this the kind of thing we could get into on a larger scale than just these side music projects? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next item with Apple was this live photos embedding in websites. This is a tool for developers, really. It's not sort of for you and me to just sort of dump a live photo into a WordPress blog or something like that. This is something where you need to know at least a little bit about code. Um, but it's a way to put live photos, which are produced by iPhones uh, in the last couple of generations, um, into a website. And in and of itself, that doesn't seem like it's going to be hugely significant. But um, one of the frustrations with live photos has always been, unless you share them via an Apple platform like iMessage or something like that, it's actually quite hard to share them natively. And so in theory, this could lead to, I don't know, Facebook or somebody else building in an uploader uh, that could handle live photos and then display them through Facebook or other sites like that. So that's the one area where I think it might be interesting. But it's it's just funny that it's taken Apple this long to get to this point. I, I really haven't used live photos a ton since they first launched. There was some novelty early on, and then I just found them distracting after a while and turned the feature off. Uh, but in asking on Twitter this week about who uses them, I got tons of people saying, yeah, I use them all the time. I love them. I think you use them as well, right? Yeah, I do. And I do love them. I think they're great. I think it's. I think they're a sleeper hit. I think there are a lot of people out there who really enjoy them, but nobody really talks about it very much. Yeah, it's interesting because I was just kind of saying, I think about a week ago, that you know, portrait mode is is one of the single biggest features in the iPhone that's made the biggest difference to me um, from recent years. You know, and I was thinking in, in the back of my head, in contrast to live photos, which I barely use at all. But you know, everybody's experience is different, and this is always the danger of extrapolating from your own experience. Yeah, I. Um I think the reason live photos haven't gotten bigger and been more notable really is the sharing thing. I don't know how much of a difference a, you know, a web embed is going to make in shareability because most people are sharing through apps anyway. Right. But you know, hopefully some app makers can use the same code to accomplish the same thing. So we'll see. I don't know. I, I, I find I'm, they're fun to see, especially of your own kids. That's my favorite part of them is because yeah. it sort of it sort of brings a moment like on a vacation at a particular spot that we went to a little more live so yeah, yeah, yeah. so i've just left it on by default yeah and that's what i heard a lot of people had done and i had it turned off and i've turned it back on again in the last day or so i'm going to experiment with it a bit um the last quick apple news item was there were some uh images purporting to be of the chassis for the new iphone that's coming out in this fall a um, couple of things were notable. The, the dual cameras that currently sit side by side on the horizontal axis uh, were moved to sort of vertical, one above the other. And then there was a sort of a slot in the middle of the back of the chassis, which you know seems like it could be used for a fingerprint sensor if Apple can't find a way to put that into the screen, which is what they've been reported to be working on. Um, Aaron, you kind of read some stuff about this that sort of expressed some skepticism about it. Yeah, well, I wish I remember who it was that... Um put this up on Twitter, but he looked at the iPhone 7 cutout versus this new iPhone's cutout, and essentially there was a leftover cutout, or not cutout, but some leftover structure in the frame for where the flash would have been if the cameras were still horizontal. And uh, and he basically was saying this is probably a fake because the person who put together this rendering and printed it out on this paper, um, you know, forgot or didn't really know like that that cut that that structure ought to go away if the flash was moved to a different spot 
that alone is speculative. And I think that's really the essence of all of this. This is super speculative right now. Right. And as, if, as official as that looked, we have no idea what, where it came from or how it's really being used. The, the Touch ID thing on the back, I think, is why it got the most attention. Yeah. Because that would be a huge shift from where it is now. And a lot of people yeah. complained about fingerprint sensors being on the backs of other phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the S8, you know, has it up by the camera now. And, and uh, MKBHD was complaining about that in his video review just uh, yesterday or today. Right. Um, the... This is the thing. If Apple is moving it to the back, don't be surprised if there are rumors breaking ground a little bit, not unlike how the iPhone 7 rumors were that it wasn't getting a major redesign and those turned Mm -hmm. out to be true. You know, that's Apple leaking this information to sort of soften the blow of something that people might otherwise be disappointed by. If the Touch ID really was moving to the back, though, I don't think that this would be the way that they would soften the, the ground. I think it would be through a more official outlet and it'd be more like sources familiar with the design had this to say i don't think they'd be locking they're leaking an actual schematic of the phone no absolutely agreed yeah absolutely yeah i, I think that the fingerprint sense is particularly topical because you know, and we'll talk about this later the samsung s8 reviews where of course that's on the back and as you say marcus brownlee and others have kind of criticized that placement and we'll talk about that in a minute but yeah i i wouldn't like it i think instinctively if it moved to the back um so I'm inclined to hope it's not true, <laughs> but you know, yeah. putting it, embedding it in the screen is is difficult. And Samsung supposedly tried to do that and failed. So we'll see if Apple's able to do that or not. But yeah, the, the camera thing looks a little funny too. So we'll see how that all pans out. Well, let's move on to our other news items for the day. And uh, first one is uh, sort of a trio of voice assistant news. The big one, I think, is Google Home finally announcing multi-user support. And this was something that was strongly implied by the demo video that. Uh, Google showed at its I.O. conference almost exactly a year ago uh, and which just was absent when the device actually debuted in the fall and therefore sort of been widely anticipated since. And this is an obvious thing for Google to do, right? So we all have Google accounts for Gmail and Calendar and so on. And the whole point of an assistant is it gets to know you. And that was a major theme at the launch event. And yet how can it get to know you if there are five people in the house and it thinks they're all you? Uh, and so being able to recognize individuals ideally by voice was always a logical next step and Amazon's been said to be working on something similar it's challenging for all kinds of reasons but it seems Google's figured it out and I tried it on my unit this week and um, it worked fine for me and my daughter both of whom have gmail accounts so gmail.com accounts Uh, but I tried to use it with my work address which is also Google apps based and my wife's email which is apps based uh, so they're both provided by Google, but then don't have gmail.com addresses. And it didn't say this isn't supported. It just conked out after a while and said something went wrong. And so I suspect it doesn't yet work for Google Apps accounts, which meant we've only been able to set it up for two users. But it certainly does recognize me and my daughter separately, knows who we are and will feed different information to us. And when I change my voice, it, it no longer recognizes me. So I haven't been able to test it with lots of different similar voices just yet. But uh, certainly seems to work. And I think it's a big and important advance and a, a nice positive differentiator over Alexa. Well, and let's talk about the Alexa thing. I haven't had a chance to try out the home thing, but it seemed like an obvious next step. Um, The Alexa news is really interesting to me um, for a bunch of reasons. So I guess you have a rundown for it, and then we'll talk about it. But Yeah, so two pieces of, of Amazon news. I mean, one was they, they, they had their big uh, AWS event this week, and as part of that, they opened up what they call their Lex platform to all developers. And Lex platform is not the same as the 
Alexa platform. Uh, it's actually kind of a step behind that. And Alexa is really a platform that does all kinds of things, including voice recognition, but also natural language processing. And so it can be used not just for voice recognition for things that are like voice assistants, but also for text processing. So if somebody wants to do a chat app or something, they could use that for the voice recognition. And so um, they opened up that platform. And, and so that's interesting because it, it potentially... Uh, increases the scale of that platform and its ability to be trained and to improve over time quite significantly given the still relatively small number of echo devices that are out there this opens it up to a whole lot of different use cases which should all help improve the Alexa performance but the other news was that Amazon quietly tweaked its terms of service for uh, the skills the apps that people can build for Echo and Alexa and basically made very clear that you're in vast majority of cases not allowed to show ad, to play ads through the audio interface in those skills unless it's some sort of part of a content thing where ads are a natural fit um, and so that was kind of interesting in the context of you know Google Home sort of aborted effort to do some advertising for Beauty and the Beast a few weeks ago and also the Burger King ads from last week which tried to trigger people's Google Home devices. Yeah uh, you know what's interesting about cutting advertising out of this is that it really means that Amazon is saying if you're going to leverage this for your product, it's got to be either a hardware product that people are paying you for and you're earning a profit or a software as a service product that Alexa is being tied into. Um, and uh, that's going to disappoint a lot of people. In fact, you even before we were recording mentioned that there were some people that had already started looking into advertising with this platform and, and now they're going to be disappointed by that. But um, it will be interesting to see uh, how much of an effect that has. I don't think it'll have much. I think really the, the it's going to be the bigger, more interesting players that are leveraging Alexa. Echo B, the thermostat manufacturer, is going to be supposedly baking Alexa into their Echo B4, um, which seems like a cool idea, although like we had just talked about um, before we started, uh, thermostats typically run on pretty low power, so I wonder how that would, how well that would work if this thing could be always listening or not. But um, I think it's a smart play, and I think Amazon has a much longer um, uh, runway to to make Alexa in all kinds of you know important in all kinds of ways than than, than Google has had by dragging its feet for so long about getting a Google Assistant out there. Right. And I also think Amazon's smart just to say, hey, ads were not interested. I think make a clear statement about that, especially when you're competing with Google. It's always a good idea. Um, and as you say, I think it's mostly going to affect the smaller quizzes and other stuff like that rather than the big uh, partners that it really wants to have. And it, it talks up the number of skills as a sort of suggestion of how powerful the platform is. But in reality, very few of those skills are really useful. And the big ones are all monetizing somewhere else. They're making smart home gear, they're selling music subscription services and so on. So I think the big ones that it really cares about will be fine. It may um, upset some smaller developers in the meantime, but I think that's that's a price worth paying to be clear that ads are not acceptable. Uh, well, let's talk about Netflix earnings quickly as well. They reported earnings earlier in the week, uh, very big now, uh, approaching 100 million subscribers probably this weekend, uh, just under 50 million paid subscribers in the US, slightly smaller number internationally, but catching up fast. Um, profitable on a P&L basis, but burning lots and lots of cash because they are making this big shift to original content. 
Um, and they, they've made some very clear statements in the shareholder letter, which I didn't see picked up widely, but about the fact that it's going to be many years, to use an exact quote, before they are uh, free cash flow positive. Uh, so this is going to be a very heavy investment. They're going to take on more debt in the meantime to help fund that investment. Um, but I was looking through the numbers earlier for, for something else that I was doing, recording a, a video uh, presentation of my Netflix deck for my uh, Jackdaw Research quarterly deck service. Um, and the fact is, yes, that content spend is growing very rapidly, but revenue growth is faster. And so it's outpacing it and they're staying ahead of those content obligations. And so it's actually okay for now. It does have this negative impact on cash because of the way that you pay for original content. Um, but as long as they keep growing, they're going to be okay. And that's just the big question about Netflix is whether they can sustain the growth. Uh, well, and they're getting to the point where they have so many Netflix originals that it's even hard that you really can't easily keep track you know, it's yeah. not just in your head. And and that, it seems like a really obvious path forward. I mean, they're turning themselves into a studio. I mean, they're becoming a CBS or an ABC or, a, you know, a, a, a cable network like a TNT or something like that. And it's, it's going to pay off for them because, I mean, they're supposed to cross 100 million subscribers this weekend, which is an amazing accomplishment for a monthly subscription service. Um, I think this is a totally smart play, and they've shown that they're good at that. So I don't think there's any reason to, you know, if you're if you're interested in Netflix and their fortunes as a company, I, I don't think there are reasons to be nervous. I think there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Yeah, yeah, I think I agree with that. At the end of the day. All right. Well, our last item is just the the Samsung S8 reviews, and then also news that broke on Friday that Google Music will be the default music service on the Samsung Galaxy S8. Um, Samsung had previously invested in Samsung Milk, which was its own uh, music service, really didn't work out very well, along with all their other content offerings basically being a complete flop. Um, and so interesting, especially given you know the prominence of Bixby and the sort of alternative to the Google Assistant and the way in which they've kind of crippled the way the Google Assistant works on the phones. Interesting to see this partnership, which Google was promoting today. Um, and uh, so, yeah, kind of interesting combination, and especially the juxtaposition with those reviews as well. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I did a sort of deep dive on the Samsung announcements the day of the event and uh, talked about the fact that lots of this stuff looks great on paper, but we'd have to see what the reviews said about how it actually performed. And this week we kind of got that sense, and, and it may be sort of the most predictable sentence ever in any Samsung review, but the consensus seems to have been great hardware, lousy software. Yeah, and that's like copied and pasted from every previous Samsung phone ever, <laughs> like right. a review ever. I mean, I don't know. It seems like every year their software offerings or even some of the really marquee ones are underbaked, and they and they go they generally go to into into two potential fates. One is they sort of get refined over time and held on to, or Samsung just never really does anything with them they get a cold reception and they just quietly disappear in the next version or two versions later of the phone um i'm going to be fascinated by watching bixby because it got so much attention to the point that samsung actually built in a hardware feature tied to it uh, one that apparently is not hackable which i know a lot of people are disappointed by right. uh, a lot of people want to be able to just hack that bixby button so that uh, so that it just pulls up uh, google assistant but um you know, it'll be fascinating to see how well Bixby sticks around. It's not great to have it underbaked at this point when it's drawing all this attention because um, users, if they're not going to, if they buy these phones and they're not using Bixby, um, even with the button there, 
I think it's 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 not going to be around for long. Right. No, absolutely. And it, uh, the reviews in general were very positive on the hardware, the display, and everything. There are some interesting wrinkles there where there are several resolutions that the display can operate at, and when you put it on the higher resolutions, the battery life's quite a bit worse. Um, and so that's worth noting. Um, but, you know, ergonomically, if nothing else, uh, the device got really great reviews. The kind of combination of really massive screen but much more manageable size in terms of holding it in your hand, they really seem to have cracked that. And, you know, it's a Samsung phone and they're the leader in displays, and so you'd expect the display to be very good. Um, you know, in general, hardware is very nice. Cameras, no big improvement. We knew that. Um, and uh, the one niggle from a hardware perspective seems to have been the uh, the camera and the fingerprint sensor being right next to each other, which we've seen on other devices before and it's had exactly the same issue where you reach for the fingerprint sensor and you accidentally smudge the camera instead. Uh, it's frustrating. There's no real reason to do that except perhaps having a single cutout in the chassis rather than two in different places. But uh, interesting in the context of the, the iPhone leak where it does seem to be separated quite a bit, which, which if it is the case that that's how it works, seems much more sensible. Uh, it's also hard to reach because it's a long way up the back of the device, and I kind of felt that when I was playing with one of these devices at the launch event. Um, but uh, from a software perspective, yeah, Bixby's not all there yet from a voice perspective in the US at least and, and the rest of the world outside of Korea. And then uh, the Google Assistant, that you can't trigger it in the same ways that you can with some other Android devices by saying, hey, Google, or whatever, when it's off. Um, and so they've actually kind of crippled it somewhat, which you know is frustrating given that Bixby doesn't claim to be a full assistant in the same way, and Google Assistant, therefore, is still very much needed on the phone, uh, even if you like Bixby. Um, so some frustrations there as well. Yeah, and you know, I, it's hard to say what, how much of a difference those those uh, disappointments will make for people wanting to buy this phone. My guess is not very many. I, they've got a decent amount of brand loyalty with uh, with you know owners of previous generation Galaxy phones. So I, I don't think I don't think that many people are going to be turned off. But by the same token, I don't think any of these are going to be features that make people now say, "Oh gosh, I got to switch." So. Right, absolutely. It'll be the hardware and the screen and everything and the ergonomics and so on that'll make people buy it, which, you know, by all accounts, a lot of people are pre-ordering and, and will be buying them. So it should do very well. All right, well, that wraps up our News Roundup for this week. So uh, thank you for, for listening. Again, we have our other uh, Question of the Week episode from earlier in the week on Facebook's F8 announcement and innovation at Facebook. So give that a listen if you haven't yet. Um, but that wraps it up for today. We'll have links in the show notes and on the website uh, if you want to look at um, any uh, related stuff, uh, as usual, I'll be linking to Tech Narratives pieces, which I've written on pretty much all the news that we've talked about today. Um, but let us know if you have any feedback. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And otherwise, we will talk to you again next week. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.